Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, joined alongside, as I am every week, by media executive Grail Hallett and OTB producer and Serie A specialist Sam Griswold. Today on OTB, we get caught up with ESPN's Jeff Carlisle. Guys, it was great to talk to him and get caught up with him. He, uh, I, I love getting him on the program. we got the U.S. Men's National Team Friendlies coming up and the qualifiers. We, we talked about that. He did this MLS power ranking, which was fantastic. If you haven't read that, it gets you up to speed on what's happening in MLS. So he's one of my favorite guests. He always has been uh, when OTB was at ESPN, when it was at Sirius XM FC. So that's a lot of letters for you guys this morning. But, uh, you know, he's worked 16 years covering this game, and there's been a lot of changes covered the, the World Cups, men, women. Cope America's Euro Championship. So it was great talking to Jeff and getting caught up with him. So guys, uh, a lot to talk about in soccer and sports this week. Go figure as every week. Um, I, first of all, the friendly, I guess. I want to talk about that a little bit. Burhalter called in 27 players uh, about that. Um, so I'm looking forward to this. It's, it's May 30th. We're finally going to get a chance to, to see a lot of these uh, European players playing together. Um, so I just wanted to say, guys, I, I missed some games because I was traveling and I got to tell you, I love performing stand-up comedy, but I hate to travel. And one of the things about the quarantine was it was nice to not travel. I actually had a schedule. I got to work out regularly in the same place and I got to eat dinner every night. And, uh, I'm not, you know, I, I'm really happy. The quarantine is sort of ending. We're in the seventh inning stretch here, but, um, uh, I, you know, there were some good parts to it. So you would like this, yeah. So, no. Sorry. So this private gig on Martha's Vineyard was the sole reason for you to fly across country. Uh, yeah, actually. Well, I did some work for the stand-up uh, for the comedy festival on Nantucket, so I made it a business okay. trip of it as well. But I, yeah, I got hired to do this private show um, okay. with some Hollywood types, and yeah, so yeah. I got to fly. It was yeah, I fly. What is it? L.A. to Boston, Boston to, to the Vineyard. So yeah. uh, it's it's a long day of travel, and then you you know it's funny because all that tra- uh, travel, and I did mm-hmm. basically twenty minutes of stand up comedy mm. for all that. You know, it's bizarre. Or, yeah. yeah, I hope it was good. I hope it was a good twenty minutes. Uh, it did. It worked. There was two of us there, so that always makes nothing more depressing than thirty six hours of travel for like eight. Not well. Good that's those are corporate minutes. events. Yeah. yeah. Well, so corporate events. What does a private sh- gig look like? Sorry, are you in someone's like living room? Are you at a? a no, it's you know? always different. Everyone is different. Like a, you know, uh, I bet the best private gig I ever did was I opened for Jackson Brown on um, Nantucket. It was a private equity guy just hired Jackson Brown to be there, and I, I did like. By the time they the production things run over and everything, and you're the comic, you're always like just, you know, just the you take the beach we call it which is sort of like, we're just, you're the opener, man. You're just kind of getting everybody calmed down. People move into their seats. So you're just like, a, I don't know, it's like the fluffer of the entertainment business system. But, um, but it's, you know, I mean, with when I opened for Jackson Brown, I was supposed to do 30 minutes. And then by the time they were running so late, they're like eight minutes. And I got the same amount of money, which was, which was big. Did you um, take a shot at the wealthy individual who was able to afford to buy Jackson Brown for his wife or uh, no, I become a big, <laughs> I become a big righty when that happens. When oh, I'm getting a big, you are I'm getting so a big check. weak. <laughs> I got paid once guys. I got paid. Uh, I don't know. I got paid a lot of money once in cash, and I was afraid that, that I was going to get beat up on the way out the door. But uh, I guess on Nantucket, there's no real. Big like, I mean, mafia eight, out there. Uh, what mafia is eight operation. minutes like? 
you know, three jokes, four jokes. I mean, you got to be concise. I bet it's right. that sometimes every situation you walk into is different. So sometimes these corporate events are very difficult because HR is talking to you and they're yeah. like, don't, you know, don't mention this, don't mention that. And you're like, Oh, you know, like I was talking to Billy Burr about it. It's like, the, it's getting narrower and narrower what you can talk about. You know, it's just getting uh, really, really tough to talk about anything. So, all right. So um, it was, a, it was a strange gig. All I did was basically, uh, take the audience i started to tell a few stories and stuff and and then that was done and it was pretty easy so it was nice sometimes they go really badly and you want to be you just want to be somewhere else <laughs> you just it's horrible yeah. but the better you get the more you can sort of even it out so all right so yeah. i'm over traveling but what are you guys over there and over the ball sam why don't you go first yeah i'm over um following yesterday's europa league final judge you know pundits media etc making these sweeping judgments about a team coach or player based on a shootout win uh, that went to the 11th round and came down to the goalkeepers shooting. Um, Yet, despite that, uh, Craig Burley, who we've had on the show and as a guy I like a lot, Craig Craig uh, Burley, referred to Scholzkeyer as a serial loser and out of his depth, while uh, Unai Emery, the VRL manager, is now uh, being hailed by Rio Ferdinand as a genius tactician. And all I will say is there's a reason games that go to shootouts have a big asterisk next to them in the box score. I'll leave it at right. that. Right, right, yeah. One game, it went down to goalkeepers, right? I mean, is that the first time goalkeepers decided it? I mean, De- uh, and De Gea, De Gea's had a tough year. This is this has been, you know, he was the best goalkeeper in the world for he a couple also, years. There. He also, just defensively, David De Gea has not stopped a penalty since 2016. So not only is he not helping his team defensively by stopping penalties he 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 missed the deciding penalty with a very tepid like i i hope i don't miss type penalty so uh yeah well i think they put three down the middle in a row on him Uh, i mean it was pretty amazing that they went they both went like 10 for 10 which is pretty unheard of yeah no it's pretty epic my point i always go back to you know the super bowl when the patriots won when russell wilson threw that interception on the last play of the game and then all of a sudden tom brady who wasn't even on the field was you know the best quarterback ever uh i mean i i I don't know i just people get a little carried away yeah. Well, winners win, but I think on PKs, it's like, yeah, we had Mike Noonan on last week and Clemson lost in PKs, but we he didn't know that when we, yeah, but we, we wouldn't, we didn't know that when we went into the interview, we just knew that he had lost yeah. and we hadn't watched mm-hmm. the game. And he's like, look, we didn't lose. It went to PKs. <laughs> and then they, you know, the guy tipped the ball. He had the whole, you know, yeah. Noonan, he cannot lose. It's, it drives him crazy. He, did, he tweeted mm-hmm. it by saying that he couldn't watch the Europa League penalty kicks because it was too too soon from his experience yeah Yeah. exactly so you know while we're on this i would like to offer a a defense of the europa league in general because i think it was a really good final and i like seeing some of these teams that are not you know would be super league teams playing and winning um i thought vrl played great were very organized and played very much like a team which man united did not look at all like i don't know how they finished second place in the premier league playing that way if that's how they played all year um and then B, I would like to offer a defense of the shootout because people always complain about it's a bad way to settle games. Awful that it went to penalties. Yeah. Um, and my point is this is it is incredibly dramatic and compelling. And soccer is a game itself. Some people have estimated in like books and, you know, these are scientists we're talking about that soccer is 50 percent luck anyway. 
Okay. So there is a lot of luck at play, even when the game is happening normally. Okay. Uh, You know, as people talk about, you got lucky, you won the lottery of penalties. To me, it's not that different than the game itself. All right. Here, but Sam, let me take this on for a sec because this this is what's bothered me about Italy, you know, their style of play. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, saying the World Cup, just defend, 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 and not play and, you know, and then try to just play for penalty kicks, I I think a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And so what I think happens is if you know penalty kicks are, and we can be one of the possible outcomes and you play for that, that affects the entire second half, mm-hmm. you know, they, cause they play not try to score a goal, but just to not lose. And, and it's makes for like uninteresting soccer. And then like, you know, Noonan was probably the best team of the country and, and they take on, you know, Marshall who mm-hmm. turned out to be the best team of the country. You lose by PKs. It's just a bummer. It's like, yeah, it know. is, but no, but everyone that's saying how, you know, unfortunate it is never offers a, an alternative. I mean, what, what would you have them do? Well, I, I no, I, keep, I say keep we, playing our alternatives, keep playing or pull keep players playing. off then go eight V eight or whatever. I don't know, mate, you know, but God, you got to win. You got to score a goal. Somebody's got to score a goal because you get into that, uh, that Cardinazio mentality, just like park the bus and, how do you Sam, say the Sam, would you please Sam. pronounce that correctly? Because that the butchering Catenaccio. that I just heard of that word, the catenaccio. <laughs> Second one Catenaccio. is better. Catenaccio. Yeah. Catenaccio. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Sorry. Yeah, but you know I, what I'm saying, I, Sam? Like culturally, culturally, like, I mean, Italy in the World Cup does that, you know, with all those great players they have. It's just sort of like, oh, all right. It's like England, they, how they get in their heads because of the press just kind of mm-hmm. it's so culturally you know, they fold because of the pressure. Italy just parks the bus and well, let's hold what, on. What I would like to see is, and even in major tournaments, I feel like they could do this. You know, they might have to expand the tournament a little bit, but I don't see why they can't just do like a best two out of three series because I think that would change things quite Too a many bit. games already, Sam. Games. I, I mean, you, know, our, you, you ask anybody, they're already complaining about the number of games their teams are having to play. So you'd be adding more games. I think, is this is this your hockey influence coming I love it as a Sam, fan. Sam, don't get me wrong. As a probably. fan, I love that idea. But coaches, I mean, Jurgen Klopp would have an aneurysm if you suggested that he play more games. Yeah. I say a single championship, but in a neutral site. Um, but look, playoff hockey is just unbelievable. So I think that's kind of what you're you're thinking uh, yeah, about. But, but, yeah, but it's I've... not as... It is, it is pretty arduous. I'm not going to belittle playoff hockey because, my God, those guys go full tilt the whole time. But they don't go the whole season at that, at that level. They don't play at that same intensity all season. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think you can – you know, we're talking about the amount of games being played for soccer. It's not the same. You're not skating. It's, it's, uh, you're running. And it, it's, uh, I don't think the body could take a three-game series. I just yeah. don't think the scheduling would permit it. I just think the schedule is so booked already. They get about four yeah. weeks off for the entire year. No, but it's then, all money at the end of the day. And look at the NFL. Yeah. They, they, they're still beating those players up, adding more games. And those are the most underpaid athletes in the world. But the players went ballistic players. when they added just a single game, a 17th yeah. game. Players did not like that at all. Well, play play one NFL game and your body is like, man, that's going to be two years off your life. Yeah, I think I'm not sure. So, all right. So we're talking about exciting things. We're watching. You guys are watching the playoff hockey, obviously. Um, pretty exciting. Good stuff. What is the most? Because, Grail, I know you were going, you were through the roof with the, the last week of the Premier League when all the teams play together. Do you, you That's your favorite sport of all time that's the best well no no I'm, I'm just saying for soccer i think it's the single best day in soccer when you have 20 teams 10 matches all kicking off simultaneously on that last sunday right and 
two teams vying for the third and fourth spots in the top four. And with every goal and new things that are going oh, on, great. like the, the things are changing in real time. And I thought I have got, I've got to give NBC real props. I thought they did a great job of keeping us informed as Spurs was coming back against Leicester, the dynamic was changing, you know, and Leicester was in and then they weren't in, and then they ended up being out. They ended up being in fifth and Liverpool by winning jumped up to third. So I just think, I just think it's incredibly compelling drama. I think it's, I, you know, uh, I say you're, you're right. You got to give NBC their props because they did a great job. I'll, I'll tell you this. I was up in Canada. I performed in Toronto and the producer of the um, English soccer, when it wasn't being shown in the United States, asked me if I would sit in and do the coverage where I would sit at a desk. And it's the first time I ever had an IFB in my ear and it was five cameras. And all I had was one game. I had to do intro and then the game I'd throw to the game and then come out at halftime. And then after, Mm. Oh my God, it was so confusing. People talking to my ear, different lights. I'd never done it before. So that's one game. Mm -hmm. I could not believe the job they did with all the games that, I mean, it must have been yeah. absolute pandemonium in that uh, control room. And they, that, the talent, Rebecca, man, she was spot yeah, on. So how they, do they, do they do like whip around coverage where they go from yeah. field to field? Okay. Well, they would do in box and box type stuff. And, okay. and uh, yeah. they obviously had cameras at every one of the grounds and they would just um, do little interruptions and then show the table as it stood right then in that at that moment you know mm-hmm. when spurs ended up evening the score then that changed the dynamic and then they went ahead uh-huh. and mm-hmm. yeah so i just it, it is very tricky and complicated and i just thought they did a very good job of so what what makes all. the english version of that unique um i i just well I, I, again I, I don't watch enough uh, I, I can't Syria, 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 whatever. What to me is what makes it unique is that all the games are essentially being are kicking off at the exact same time. I don't know if they do that in Syria and La Liga, and so you don't have you don't have like time gaps between. So everything's happening in real time. It's well, I was it was exciting. It was exciting. No, Syria, I, I know. I, yeah. I can no. It sounds exciting, but I just don't. I mean, France does the same thing. France, the title wasn't decided, and there were eight teams that could have been relegated on the final day. I mean, Germany does right. the same thing. I mean, I, I don't know. I, well, the, pro- the problem for us is television coverage. It's covered here in the Premier yeah. League. The, the other leagues aren't, so we really don't know what's going on. Um, the only, you know... And again, Syria, I'm just... I yeah, I'm saying it from my my position, Sam, because yeah, this yeah. is what I watch, you know? Sure, and, yeah, and, yeah. I, and I just think they do a very good job of making it into a compelling mm-hmm. broadcast. And, yeah. and again, you know, there was the one year, 10 years ago when Aguero scored the winning goal and they won it, they won it on the, basically the final kick of the game and United yes. got bounced from the title. Plus, plus Sam, you know, Guerrero always goes down the English route. He just, he loves, he's lived there and, and he loves those. Well, so and, we, and, yeah. and Harry but it was Kane exciting. Scored, Kane scored. So he won the golden boot again to become only the third player along mm-hmm. with Henri and Sherrod to win the golden boot. So there were a good, good little subplots to everything too. Yeah. So that's what you were in, but we didn't let you say what you were over. I decided that I'm going to wait to say what I'm over because we, tended to go over a little bit there so i will save what i'm over for next week how's that oh wow so you're over what you're over all right yeah good i'm over that yeah hey what happens to chris uh christian bale oh i keep saying that a gareth bale uh two goals to conclude i mean you know uh what's his name jose Mourinho leaves and bale comes alive 
what what happens to him moving forward? I I think they're going to re-sign him. I mean, I you know again he's not going to be commanding. I, he still had years on the deal, and I think he's kind of a, I think he's really on loan, isn't he, Sam? From Real yeah, Madrid? he's on loan, as I understand. He's it. on yeah. loan with it, probably the option to buy. Obviously, Real Madrid doesn't want to take him back. But, but now Zidane's gone too. Well, so. there may be other suitors too. There may be other suitors. Suitors. For him. Dance no, I mean, he's not a long-term guy. He's a guy that, you know, is like for maybe the next year or two, but he can still play. I mean, it's just his heart didn't see him in it. I think he didn't like playing for Mourinho. I think Mourinho was like, uh, you know, he's a bigger star than Mourinho. So Mourinho had a problem with him. It's like, right. he's not going to come in here and fix it. It's not the, uh, no, well, no, no. I, I am the boss. It'll be interesting too, because the rumor is now that Pochettino is talking to Spurs. So there's a chance that Pochettino could actually leave PSG and come back to Spurs, which could not only have an impact on Bale, but it could have an impact on whether or not Harry Kane leaves. Cause I think Harry Kane was a big fan of Pochettino. So Pochettino. Yeah. So, and uh, the Liverpool, Liverpool game, that was exciting as well. I mean, uh, that's a pretty serious comeback for them. They did. They did. I've got to give Liverpool props. They were dead. They were no way they were going to finish top four and they rattled off five straight games to finish in third. I mean, with that decimated squad, they had very, very good showing by them. Yeah, and uh, it was it was it was fun to watch. Klopp said it was the most the most difficult coaching job he's ever had to do. So yeah, uh, and Aguero went out on a on a high note. Two goals, um, classy. It was it was really interesting. I've never seen Pep get really emotional. And in the post game interview on the on the pitch, they were asking about Aguero, and he like broke down. He was just like he's an incredible person. He's an incredible not only just a player as a person and we're going to miss him. And uh, yeah, it was, it was just kind of nice to see that raw emotion. All right. So Lester kind of blew it on the last day uh, though. I think if you would ask Lester fans in the beginning of this season, uh, they would take this, uh, you know, yeah, what they I mean, they go to, they end up in fifth. It was, they, they kind of ended the season, you know, not, not with a lot of momentum, but yeah, they're, 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 they're a top club. They're a top club, you know? All right. So, um, I wanted to talk about this. Well, we got the Champions League final. Um, Man City, Chelsea, and Porto Portugal. Who? Chelsea? <laughs> Chelsea. So I got to just mention it. So uh, going to get your ass kicked uh, that day? I, of course, you know, I, my friends will hate me for saying this, but I mean, um, I just think, I think Man City's on a mission and I think they desperately want to win the treble. And I, my, my prediction is 3-1. I, I just think they're going to be dominant. I, I, I just don't think Chelsea can match up against their best 11. And I think, Sam, you think it's sort of the oligarchs against the Sheiks here. I'm <laughs> having a hard time not seeing it like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, there was an article. That in no way surprises me, Sam. In The Guardian recently describing how, you know, Chelsea and Man City have essentially taken over English soccer and sort of by extension European soccer, um, you know, all dating back to these cash injections that they've gotten. And right. So, I mean, I think it's appropriate because they're the two teams that have been the most influential in the last 10 years in Europe, um, but it still doesn't make me excited at all. I don't think it's good for the tournament, honestly, having two English clubs in the final. I think it's better to have representation yeah. from different. It's just more it's just more interesting in my mind. Mm hmm. Um, but you know, and, but yeah, it's, no, I was just going to say that's kind of what Champions League's about, too. I always yeah, think like, it's, yeah, you know, for sure, countries or teams from different countries vying for the title versus two up. English. Yeah. Teams, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the original champions league 
you had to actually be a champion to get into. So yeah, this wasn't a problem. Right. Exactly. And the oligarch and chic things, it's funny, you know, because we were talking last week about, you know, putting money back into the club, who's losing money, you know, based on that super league money grab. Um, but it's funny. A lot of, some of these teams are struggling. You're like, man, Sydney, the, you know, new owner comes in, puts a ton of money behind it. They're suddenly at the top of the league every year. We're talking about them as these elitists yet the, the fan base uh, didn't want a foreign owner. Now they love the position they're in, but they don't want the guy to make any profits. So it's just a really, you can't have it all. It seems. And soccer seems to be ground zero for it a little bit. Yeah. And um, certain but, owners don't need to make money. I mean, Abramovich obviously doesn't want to lose money, but I mean, he's in a different position because he's worth billions and billions of dollars. So and that should be a rule. It's like, it's like flooding the market with super, uh, you know, superconductors or something at a low under budget rate. It's like, it's gotta be a business. There should be some rules where, you know, you can make a little bit more parity, um, you know, because of certain constraints. So yeah, I mean, they're look, they're all about making money to a certain extent, but I'm just saying certain owners have more of a cushion than others. So right. hey, um, Sam, send me a great article on Katarina Macario. That was uh, yeah, that's a great story. I didn't know much about that. A, a little bit, uh, you know, we had mentioned her before on the show a couple of times, but uh, what a great journey and just about America too. I think it was, you know, you, you talk about people coming here. It's, it was, it was a really nice story. Yeah. I mean, for, for anyone who has, I won't go through the whole story. Everyone should just go read it. It's in the New York times um, about her background and her route to the national team, you know, growing up in Brazil, going to Stanford, et cetera, and now playing over in Europe. But I mean, my main point on this is I read through the story and my initial reaction was I'm really excited to see this woman play. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you look down at the comments on the article and basically everyone is saying the same thing. And Great. it just, it proves, I think what we've all been saying for a long time, which is if you, give these guys uh, and girls, obviously, uh, you know, a backstory that we can sort of latch on to and get excited about. Um, it just really helps us get into these teams and these leagues and these competitions and right. soccer, soccer just needs more of this, I think. So keep yeah, it and, she, and she's a good enough player, Sam, at least from what, what we're seeing right now that you could build a team around her. She's definitely part of the next wave. And uh, it'll be interesting to see. My, my gut tells me that Andonovsky for the Olympics is going to kind of make that the swan song for some of the older players, like the Carly Lloyds of the world and whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The transition after that, as opposed to introducing and really giving, kind of showcasing uh, Macario. I mean, I think she'll get that, playing that, time, but I, I, that's what my gut tells me is like, one more run for Rapino and Lloyd and let's get the band back yeah. together for one more gig. And then let's, how about, how about this grill? How about the best players play? That would be, I'm, nice. I'm with I, you. Funny, I, I I'm just it. telling I, you what I think. I got it. Yeah. I got it. And, and, but I also think, you know, when John Harks and, and Claudia were, you know, in the mix, those guys would go through two, three cycles and that just doesn't happen anymore in, in the men's game. I think the women's game, that's sort of starting to age out as well, where these older players with guaranteed contracts, it's, you know, uh, the transition will not be easy. Um, you even saw it a little bit. We saw the remnants with Michael Bradley, you know, um, with is he going to make this cycle? And it looks like he hasn't. But uh, there'll, there'll be some pushback because Carly Lloyd, uh, you know, she speaks out, speaks her mind. She wasn't happy even when they won the World Cup with her limited playing time. So what I found interesting about the article was we've talked about how women are not allowed to play in other parts of the world. So you look at a soccer power like Brazil. All right. 
Uh, and they're a power in women's soccer, but guess what? It's almost like they're playing with one arm tied behind their back because we talked about Marta. She couldn't play in public. She had to play on the favela rooftops. Uh, and she was also a lesbian and she was criticized for all that stuff. That poor thing it became the greatest players in the world, right? Um, and you thought that, that was over. And then reading this article about Katarina, they wouldn't let her play, which didn't that surprise you? Like you say, like Brazil, why should the United States women's team beat Brazil? Well, because women, you know, with Title IX and everything, there's there's a lot more opportunities to play here. Yeah. And I think we still forget. And that's the great part about our, our women's program is that they they open these possibilities up for women all across the world. A lot of those are very male dominant cultures still. That's just the way they are. And we, I think we forget that. And then, you know, it rears its head in places like this, but it's exactly why she ended up wanting to come here. Well, but that's like, but I, I always hate the ignorant argument. People are like, well, our women win. Why can't our men? Well, there's a lot of factors that go into that. It seems to be apples and oranges. So um, I, I just thought that was interesting that that's yeah. still out there, everybody. So um, Sam, uh, Conte leaving Inter. Were you surprised? Conte, yes. Um, Conte. Conte. Uh, yeah, Conte. I, I'm, I was surprised. I mean, he was there for two years. He won the title this year, obviously. And it seems to really be coming down to his desire to want to keep essentially the core of the team together and add players to it. Uh, whereas um, the owners, with, who are the Chinese electronics company Suning, want to sell a bunch of players, balance the book, basically turn it into a profitable uh, you know, deal, which is what we were talking about earlier. Uh, and the fans are all coming out saying, you know, do your, do your, this is your duty and your obligation. You have to pay the players. You have to keep it together, <laughs> etc. And so it's another, it's another reminder of kind of like, wh what do you really want? You basically want someone right. who just pours money into this and has no kind of concern for the bottom line. And I mean, I sort of understand both positions, but um, it's a little too bad because it felt like it might be the beginning of a, of a nice cycle for Inter. And now Wasn't that the argument? Wasn't that the argument with the Florida Marlins with Huizinga? He used to sell the players and it was just like a, you know, he just did it for pure money. He didn't care if they won or not. So yeah. And and Tampa Bay too. Yeah. A Tampa Bay. Right. So, uh, and Zidane is leaving. That's interesting. Yeah, Does that mean Bale goes back? Or he's what? decided to step down. I never know what that means. If that's it means he was pushed off the ship. But uh, you know, they've always talked about him succeeding Didier Deschamps as the uh, manager of France. So mm -hmm. that wouldn't surprise me. He just takes a break. Deschamps' contract and uh, ends in 2022, and that would be, in my mind, the logical next step for Zidane. I think. Okay. Good. Yeah. So we got a couple other things I want to talk about before yeah. we get to Jeff, but uh, Lewandowski breaks Gerd Mueller's record. Wow. That's amazing. Look, we have said over and over that the man does not get his props. Uh, boy, he's got to be the shoe in for Ballon d'Or this year. I guess. I mean, I wanted to actually put that out there. I mean, I'm assuming there is going to be a Ballon d'Or this year, correct? Because they, they didn't have one last year. Remember? Yeah. As, as far as yeah. I know, um, okay. I, I mean, I would agree, but I just think it, a lot comes down to how Poland does at the, the Euro this summer. And I can't yeah, see them true, doing very true. well when you, you know, look at the, the strength of the French team and Mbappe's chances to maybe win it. I mean, it's I think it's pretty tough. I mean, that was, a, think that that's... was a 49 year old record, by the way, that, that record uh, unbelievable. That broke, which is and, and I think a lot of people just said that's not breakable. So mm, right. um, good for right. him. So, hey, um, we're going to talk to Jeff about, or we do talk to Jeff about this, uh, but Grail, 
Talk a little bit about the Rosie, you know, I mean, Garber feeling pretty bullish about the new uh, national media agreement. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this is Don Garber being a a really good PR agent for the league. You know, he's putting all the stuff out there about the audience and the the great demos and stuff like that in advance of uh, the next uh, national media agreement. Yeah, which is coming up in 23. So, you know, it's smart of him. I mean, the ratings have been good. They've definitely been up this year. There are more games being broadcast, so that that's definitely helped. Um, and there will be an exclusive window for ESPN, Fox, and Univision to have, like, kind of, you know, right of first refusal. They'll get to negotiate, and uh, they could lock it in again moving forward. But, yeah, he's he's feeling very bullish um, about it. And, again, that's the way – that's what he should be putting out into the universe because right. he wants to get as much money as he can for the deal. Uh, humble beginnings too and we talked to jeff about that as well so what is it the amount of teams it is getting harder to sort of follow everything which 32 is, is too many to me i you know oh, 30 God, was the kid i mean it's going to be 30 i think by the end of next year 2023 that to me is already a lot of teams and you start just going into borderline markets at some point in my mind anyway uh, okay, and so I want you to comment on this quickly. We do talk to Jeff about this as well, but the, yeah. the split between U.S. soccer and Soccer United marketing, I mean, that's right up your alley. Like, uh, what what's behind that? Yeah, so they've had a 20-year partnership. Um, it's it's going to end at the end of 20, 2022. Um, soccer United marketing, for people that don't know, is the, the commercial arm of MLS. Garber, Don Garber is the CEO of Soccer United Marketing. So it's always been a kind of a strange dynamic. And so U.S. Soccer has just basically said, we want to bring that stuff in-house. So Dave Wright, who's been on the show, and what is it Will Wilson? I think that's his name. Yeah, and and Dave Wright was an executive at Soccer United Marketing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So was Will Wilson, I believe. So they want to take it all in-house and just do stuff themselves. So again, I think, you know, Jeff's going to, Jeff spends a, a good amount of time explaining it, but it's a, it's a big deal. I mean, it's been a 20 year partnership, so it's uh, it's not insignificant. Yeah. And look from uh, Sam's uh, younger than we are, but boy, we're just happy to have anything. And it's feeling like it's, it's, it's moving, it's not happening yeah. as fast, fast enough for us, but, but it is happening. All right, let's take a break here. We come back. We uh, check in with ESPN's Jeff Carlisle. You listen to over the ball. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, I'm excited about our next guest on OTB. He's uh, an ESPN soccer correspondent for 16 years. That is a long time in the soccer world. He's covered six World Cups, four men, two women, two Copa Americas, one Euro Championship, one Olympics, and too many Gold Cups to count. It's one of my favorite guests when we had a show on ESPN and we had a show on Sirius XM FC. So I don't know why it's been so long since he has not been on the show. It's Jeff Carlisle. Jeff, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. You've been pumping out some great articles of late. It seems like a lot of changes going on in the soccer world. But before we get to some of those things, I just wanted to ask you about uh, the friendly coming up with the U.S. men's national team. Uh, really, our kind of first look at 
a lot of these players, very encouraging, right? But our kind of first look at the Burhalter system with all this various components um, put in place. Of course, not Pulisic um, and not Zach Steffen because, wow, who's th- we're not getting we're not getting U.S. Men's National Team players because they're in the you know the uh, Champions League final. This is a good thing. So um, we're happy about that. So w- w- talk about that a little bit. What are you what are you looking for with the with the friendly coming up? You know, I'm I'm looking to see how how this team does against a, a really quality opponent. Um, I mean, no disrespect to the teams that they played previously, like in, you know, in the last year, you know, uh, in the time of COVID. But um, right. it seems like w- when you looked at the opposition, there there are all these caveats that jumped out at you. It's like, well, they're missing these guys and these guys and these guys. And right, you know, in the case of the Wales game, I, I think they had a game you know, coming up, you know, it was like a European championship qualifier and the same thing with Northern Ireland. So it's, you you can't, you know, it it was hard to really take away any, any concrete information. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this team performs against a real quality side. I mean, now granted Switzerland is, is got, you know, some bigger games on the horizon as well. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a similar vibe, but, you know, I am interested to see, you know, can they play out of the back as effectively as they have in the, in the past in some of these other games? Um, you know, they, they, they dominated those games. Um, but obviously, you know, Switzerland's a few steps up from, from some of the teams that they've been playing, or at least some of the players that they've been playing. So right. um, I'm curious to see, yeah, are they still going to be able to play the ball out of the back effectively and, and keep the ball to the extent that, that they have in, in, in some of these other matches? So yeah, that's, that's really what I'm going to be looking for. Yeah, and I, I, the same here. I mean, it seems like this is the real the first test. And they did play well out of the back at times. A little bit fits and starts. You get a little nervous when the ball goes to Zach's feet sometimes. Um, you know, But he's playing at Man City, so you know Pep's asking him to do the same thing in practice every week. He's uh, He's gotten better. But even with Allison, with Liverpool, you get nervous when the ball goes back to his feet. You know, like the keepers, this is a whole – this is a whole new era for goalkeepers. They've got a, they've got more to learn. So, you know, so this is a good team. Got a lot of players over there. Uh, it's going to be the first time they're all together. Um, and I think based on that, a lot of these players are coming up, I think because of MLS has given a, basically a, a foundation for a lot of players to develop. Now, a lot of them go overseas, but um, you had the MLS power rankings, which uh, we checked out. Um, really great stuff goes in depth, uh, on, on all the teams. If anybody hasn't, uh, read it goes from top to bottom. Talk about how you came up with that, uh, with that power ranking. Well, I can't claim to be the, the originator of that. I mean, power rankings in, in various forms and in, in, in a lot of other sports have been around for a while. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I know you something. did not invent power rankings. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm not going to be like Al Gore on the internet, you know, um, <laughs> I invented tic-tac-toe. That's yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think it's just kind of a fun way to, to just touch on every single team and, you know, selfishly, it's, it's a great way to, to kind of, keep track of what's going on. I mean, the league has gotten so big that it takes two people to do it now. You know, Kyle right. Bonagura is a ostensibly a college football writer for us, but he's been helping out on the soccer side. So he's, he usually takes uh, the Western conference and I take the Eastern conference. That, that's kind of the way it breaks out. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, you, you try to just keep track of trends. I mean, yeah. I, me personally, I've got a lot of internal rules. You know, I try not to make it about one game or, 
just what this particular team did, because let's face it, at this point, there's 27 moving parts. Right. And, you know, an injury can 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 really affect how a team might do going forward. So it, it's not meant to be predictive. It, it's more like facing uh, or judging their past performance. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of the approach that, that we've been taking. But it, it is it is kind of amazing just how big the league has gotten. I mean, it's 27 teams and it's going to be 29. And I mean, I won't be surprised if it goes to 32. I mean, I, I think that's where this is headed. And, um, you know, we'll see what cities uh, end up shaking out and, and which kind of get that, 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 that ticket into MLS. Well, it's a really good primer to get yourself up to date on, you know, how teams are faring or, or are about to fare. So, um, and I think even to go deeper, Jeff, is, uh, you know, we've, we talked about on the show before about the personalities that, uh, that make the game. And each team has these various personalities. I think that's where we need to do a better job um, as American sort of broadcasters, sort of say, you know, what are the human interest stories that are on that field? Because everybody has a different journey, especially in soccer, I think. So uh, this, this is a good primer to say, all right, this is what's happening with MLS. And then we, uh, you know, Grail, I think you want to talk about ESPN and, and their coverage at soccer. It looks like they're getting back into it pretty strongly. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, uh, great having you, by the way. I was just curious, you know, when, when Skipper was at the helm of ESPN, he was obviously a very pro soccer leader and uh he had the world cup and i always felt like uh, espn was kind of in the forefront of soccer and then there was a little bit of a of a of a dip in a dormant period now it feels like you guys are roaring back with kind of the bundesliga and la liga coming and uh so is is, is it accurate to say there's kind of a renaissance going on with espn in terms of the embrace of soccer i don't know if renaissance is, is the word i would use i mean i think there's always been a commitment to the sport. I mean, even, even after Fox got the rights for the last world cup, um, you know, we were there. I mean, we, and it wasn't just me over in Russia. It, it was a whole team of people, um, whether it was, you know, Gab Marcotti or Mark Ogden. I mean, the, the list goes on. So, I mean, we're, we're still covering the sport, you know, as, as in depth as we can. And, um, you know, it's, and not just in the United States. I mean, this goes for all over the world. I mean, we're, we're covering the Premier League and the Bundesliga and, and, and Ligue 1 and, and, and the list goes on. So, uh, you know, I think it'll be, you know, it, it, I think it's great that, that we're investing in those properties. And, um, you know, we, you know, selfishly, I hope it continues. And I, and I yeah. expect it to continue. I mean, you know, you don't, you don't make that kind of investment without being super committed to the sport. And so, uh, yeah, well, we're, we're going to keep on, keep, keeping on. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's very exciting just, uh, you know, the different leagues that, that we've kind of got in our pocket now. Yeah. You know, it's so, encouraging. So, it's encouraging. I think Jeff, cause it's, it, because sort of, I think those of us who have been in this game for a long time are always like just thankful someone's covering the game at times. And now it certain, seems to have turned. It's like, look, people want to watch these various things. They want to watch their soccer. It's like, you know, I want my MTV. We want our <laughs> soccer now everybody. So it's, it's sort of a business move. You know, you, you say like, Oh, there's, there's uh, there's eyeballs there that are, that are meant to be exploited. So. Um, Girel, I cut you off. You have a yeah, follow-up. No, that's okay. Yeah, just a kind of a follow-up, Jeff. Is, is so? Is there an a, a, an advantage to? Uh, I mean, you're going to be covering it anyway, as you mentioned. But is there an advantage to have the mothership actually in the game broadcasting for you specifically as you're doing your job? Does that give you any type of advantage in 
doing what you're doing or it doesn't either way? Um, there have been times where it has and times where it hasn't. I mean, okay. but I, I think in general, it's helpful. I mean, I think, you know, given our reach, you know, and given the number of eyeballs that not only aren't, are not, not only are on the network, but on the website, you know, I, I think it all goes hand in hand. Um, you know, I think, you know, the, the relationship with, with MLS, I mean, you know, that's ongoing and, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, it, it's helpful to have those relationships. I mean, mm -hmm. this is a business about relationships at sure. the end of the day. Right. And so any way that you can build those relationships is, is going to be a positive. And I think when you have, you know, when you have ESPN broadcasting a Bundesliga game or a La Liga game or an MLS game, it helps those relationships for sure. And I think, you know, it's everything's heading towards streaming. And I think there's no better sort of uh, vehicle than soccer, you know, for the streaming services. So, and, and by the way, uh, Sam is uh, sitting right in a Metro North train station, I think, but we always hear those. So, but yeah, Sam, you have a question for Mr. Carlisle? Um, yeah, Jeff, to go back a second to the power rankings, um, I'm curious, uh, you know, what trends have emerged to you early on in this season? What teams have surprised you? And uh, just what, what a few of the early storylines are that you think are worth uh, pointing out? Well, I think Seattle has surprised people, not because people didn't think they're going to be good, but just given some of the losses they sustained, you know, with Jordan Morris, um, Stephen Fry, um, you know, there's, there's another name I'm, I'm forgetting, but um, I mean, Nico Ladero has not played that much really. And so you take away those three names and to have Seattle keep, you know, just keep ticking over uh, and, and yeah. winning. I think that that surprised me a little bit. I, I mean, I, you would expect those losses to hurt and to cut deeper than they have. Um, but Brian Schmetzler is an amazing coach and Garth Lockerway is probably as smart a guy in this business as you can find. And so they're, they're always going to build a deep team and, you know, it's given other guys chances to shine. I mean, you know, Christian Roldan has, has been with that team for, for a few years now, but I think, you know, kind of what's happened is it's, it's allowed him an opportunity to, to shine a little bit more. Um, you know, in, in terms of the other teams that are, that are near the top, um, you know, I, I expected New England to be good. Um, so that hasn't really been a surprise. Um, I didn't know what to expect out of Chicharito this season. I mean, certainly yeah, there were a lot of stories before the, the start of the campaign saying, you know, hey, he's He's more committed. He's more focused. He's done all this offseason work, but you don't until you see him on the field. Right. You don't know how it's going to work out, but you, you just see a guy just a lot more active, a lot more confident, you know, chasing lost causes, you know, and and really, you know, he's a guy that that depends on service. He, he, he's in kind of picking up the scraps. So, you know, I you would expect the, the level of performance from a guy who's being paid as much as he's been being paid. Um, but, you know, it, it has surprised me a little bit just, just to see him that successful. And, and it's required putting a team around him that that's going to help him. That's going to get him the ball. And so, uh, you know, I think just some of the, the moves that, that the galaxy have made, uh, you know, Dennis DeClosa kind of retooling that defense, um, you know, I think, you know, they, they've made some pretty astute moves and moves within the league. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's, I, 
still it's we're still not even two months into the season, but it, it does look to me like like they're back. Um, mm. You know, we'll, we'll see how things shake out in the East. I mean, Orlando has proven that last year wasn't a fluke, and um, you know that Oscar Perea is is another Amazing. coach who who mm. gets this league and knows what works and knows what kind of players work, and um, they're getting Daryl DK back. So you figure that they're wow. gonna kind of go from strength to strength, as they say. And um, but we'll see if he sticks around. I mean, that's kind of that's gonna be one big talking point in the summer is you know, does Orlando kind of cash in on that opportunity to get 10 million or, or whatever it's been reported or, or more and, uh, you know, and see if they can take that money and, and invest it elsewhere. As I don't think anyone's developed as many young players uh, to move up to a higher level than Oscar Prea. It's really been impressive. And now he's doing it in Orlando. Uh, Grail, you want to follow up? Yeah, um, Jeff, it was announced about a week or so ago that uh, U.S. Soccer and Soccer United Marketing are ending their partnership after about 20 years. And uh, it's always been a little bit of a, a, a uh, challenging relationship, I think, to put it bluntly. Just curious what your thoughts are uh, about that and, uh, you know, what might be behind it. Um, I think what's behind it is that the USSF thinks they can do better on their own. Um, you know, certainly when this relationship started, I mean, the market for soccer properties was, was pretty barren. I mean, yeah. soccer United marketing bought out IMG and IMG wanted out of the deal. I mean, that's, that's kind of the low ebb that, you know, soccer properties in terms of their valuation were at. And so, you know, I think it was a really, for a lot of years, it was a really productive relationship. And, uh, you know, I get the concerns about conflict of interest. I mean, it is, it's an awkward relationship when you have a governing body that tightly coupled with a league that mm -hmm. is, uh, it's supposedly overseeing. So, you know, I, I get that point of it. Um, but it's, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall a little bit. You know, when you hire Will Wilson and David Wright to be the top two guys on the business side of the Federation, um, and they're both former some employees, Mm -hmm. Right. That kind of gives you an idea that, okay, they're, they're ready to, to do this themselves. They, they know what it takes to build up an organization that, that's going to, to handle that and sell sponsorships and do all that kind of thing. And so to, to have that expertise, I think, in-house is, you know, a little bit of a, of a sea change. And so um, from that standpoint, it, it, it wasn't that much of a surprise. I mean, it is interesting. I mean, the athletic reported this and I've been able to confirm it is, you know, the relationship was criticized, but the USSF sure loved it last year in COVID when they had that guaranteed money coming in and, you know, they, they weren't taking as much of a bath as, uh, you know, they might otherwise have, have done. So um, I think some was trying to you know, during the negotiating period, you know, they hadn't like an exclusive window. They came in a little bit lower. I think they were trying to claw some of that money back. The USSF said no thanks. So it's probably the right time now for the, for, um, for the two sides to go their separate ways. I will say it is a bit of a gamble for the USSF. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'll see, right. you know, obviously the, the women's side, I mean, that part of the that part of the commercial rights deal has to have increased in just immense value, you know, in the last decade. And so uh, you, you would expect that to, to really, 
be super valuable. And so, you know, we'll see, we'll see what the, we'll see what the USSF is able to come up with. I mean, obviously you, you brought up streaming earlier. I mean, just the whole landscape of, of broadcast rights has changed. So, uh, right. you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah. Dave Wright's been a guest on the show. He's a pretty quality, a quality guy. Uh, you know, uh, he's going to bring some buttoned up experience to that whole situation, but it's, it has been a convoluted sort of thing and you don't know what one side's doing with the other. So, uh, so I think it's growing pains and I think it's good. Um, I think it, because look, again, to go back to the, my other point was, uh, now this is a valuable property soccer. So it's changed. It's certainly in the 10 years, 20 years. It's like, wow. Yeah. There's, there's something different. It's a different, uh, different breed of cat now, Sam. Um, yeah, Jeff, you, you recently had a story just a few days ago on the uh, Black Players for Change organization in MLS and, you know, where things stand a year on from the death of George Floyd. Uh, and I'm seeing a lot of talk and articles about, you know, asking what progress has really been made within the last year. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious what your sense is talking to people around the league uh, about how they feel in terms of, you know, actual progress being made. You know, just in talking to you know, players associated with the BPC and also SCORE, which is the Soccer Collective on Racial Equity. I, I got to make sure I, I get that that name mm -hmm. right. Um, in, in talking to, to folks affiliated with that organization, I, I think they're appreciative of the steps that, that MLS is taking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, I think there's a lot of gratitude that MLS has put together these task force and, and people from BPC and SCORE and, and other organizations have a seat at the table and, and they're, they feel like they're being heard. Um, and, you know, you're seeing a little bit of a, a shift just in terms of hiring. I mean, that, that is really the, the big complaint, I think, at the moment is what there's two black head coaches, you know, in, in MLS. And granted, MLS will tell you, well, you know, we've got these Latino coaches as well. But, you know, it's, I think that's still a, a sore point for a lot of black players past and present and you know they they're definitely pushing to to see that change and they'd like to see it change faster but i think they, they feel like the league's heart is in the right place they have uh the league has hired uh, shola winley who's uh their, their chief diversity equity and inclusion officer so you're, you're starting to see these hires in the executive suite that that weren't there before but you know on the technical side i i think you know, there's always going to be a little bit of impatience, you know, that you're always going to want things to move a little bit faster. Right. And so I, I think that's, that's why they're going to keep pushing. And, you know, you, you, you see the BPC engaging with uh, their counterparts in the NBA, you know, to, to push forward, push forward the, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. And so I think you're going to continue to see those kinds of social justice initiatives uh, taking place. Um, and, I think MLS will, will continue to be a part of that as well. You know, they've done you know things with with mini pitches in in, in inner cities. Uh, I think they've done that in conjunction with the U.S. Soccer found, Foundation, not Federation Foundation. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so I think you know progress is being made, but there's still a ways to go. And and organizations like Score and like the BPC are going to keep pushing. I think America leads the way in that respect. So uh, it's good to see us stepping up there. Hey, um, talk to us a little about the COVID outbreak in South America and if the, the tournament's coming up this way, or is that just a, is that just a rumor like the Wuhan virus? We don't know where it came from. Is yeah, it? I, I mean, I think that the, the biggest thing you need to 
to realize is that Condoball did not reach out to, to either CONCACAF or the USSF to, you know, to see if this is doable. I mean, could there be conversations behind the scenes? Sure. Um, from what I'm hearing, it was some business interests that loved how the 2016 Copa America Centenario went and would love to see a repeat of that. But it was very profitable, you know, right? I mean, that was the thing. Was, oh, yeah. The well, it was very profitable for the USSF. And I think yeah. in the end, that <laughs> might have rubbed the folks in Com the Ball the wrong way a little bit. Um, and so I think they're a little wary of, of going down that road again. Um, so, I mean, the latest that I've heard is that, you know, it's either going to be Argentina hosting the whole thing or Chile is going to jump in as co-host and kind of take over the games that Colombia had. Um, but it's just, I think in terms of moving it to a different continent with all the, the travel restrictions and all the, the COVID protocols still in place, I, I think to pull that off in what, a little over two weeks, I think that's just too big an ask. And so, uh, you know, the folks that well, I've talked to say it's just, it's kind of a non-starter. All right. Well, if there's one place that they could do it, it would be here, but um, yeah, two weeks might be pushing luck a little bit there. So right. Sam. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, looking at, at your Twitter feed, um, I was noticing you, you were commenting on the revolution game recently and uh, Carly's Gill and saying that he picked up a hockey assist, which uh, <laughs> I really liked. So uh, my first question is, and I know that those kind of passes are tracked in some data formula somewhere, but very simply, why do we just not count these as assists? And they, they do. The league does. Oh, they do now. They oh, do. Yeah. Okay. They, they, oh. I mean, I was. It was more trying to provide some context around that particular play. But okay. uh, he'll yeah. he'll get he'll get credit for an assist. They they oh, okay. the league, for a long time the league has has counted secondary assists i think they call them oh, and okay. uh you know put that in the in the official stats oh, so okay. uh all right so, well you so uh, will definitely will definitely get credit for that and and, and pat okay. his numbers a little bit all right good uh right. but i wanted to add uh just like a, a broader question we've talked to a lot of american broadcasters on this show who talk about using terms that come from american sports to describe things going on in a soccer game and how they catch a lot of flack for that from especially you know european broadcasters uh and i'm just curious what your take is on that i mean i, I you know i think we on this show think it's great and a good interesting way to describe things but um i don't know have you felt faced any pushback for that or i mean i think there needs to be a balance with it um you know you don't want to be calling defenders defensemen yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you'll, otherwise you'll, you'll out yourself as kind of a newbie to the sport and, uh -huh. you know, maybe someone who hasn't done their homework, but, you know, I, I do think there are moments where it, it's fine. Um, yeah. I, I don't really have a huge problem with it. Um, I mean, I grew up playing soccer. I played soccer in college and, you know, love the traditional aspects of the game, but, I also grew up in the United States, and so I, I don't really have a problem with with announcers bringing in uh, terminology from other sports, as long as it's appropriate, as long as it kind of makes sense. Right. And so, you kind of look at that on a, on a case by case basis. That's, and, and that's going to be our stamp, I think. And I remember Rebecca Lowe couldn't believe I didn't know a midfielder from Everton in the the late seventies, and I'm like, uh, Rebecca, do you know who Pete Maravich is? She's like, who? I go, Wilt Chamberlain. Say. Who? I go, Bobby Orr. Like she knew none of those people. I go, yeah, yeah. this is our culture. This is our place. You know, I did a show at the BBC called uh, Who? Um, uh, so They Think It's Over. 
And there was a video of me explaining soccer terms, American ones, what a sweeper was, what, you know, all those old terms back in 94. And one of the things was I took a, a low hard shot and I go, that's called a worm burner. And when I got to England, they, they just tried to make fun of me, like saying, that's not a term. It's not a term. I go, well, it's not a term for you guys, but we know what a worm burner is. It's a baseball term, basically, or, or a Texas yeah. chop, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've used worm burner in my yeah, article. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay. so it's, All right. it, see, but that works. I mean, yeah. right. people know it, it's descriptive and people know what it means. I mean, even if, even if you're not a baseball fan, I think you know what it means. So I think right. instances of that, um, it, but it, it, it's amusing to me that, you know, people will try to lecture Americans on terms that they can use and that they can't use. And it's just like, well, wait a minute, you know, why, why can't we, why can't we come up with some of our own stuff? I mean, again, right. I, I, it goes back to the point I made before about balance. I mean, yeah, why, why not put a little bit of a American flavor in it? Um, but there, it is important, I think, to stay true to, to the game's roots. And so, you know, but every country on some level makes the sport their own right. and whether it's teams or players or terms. And so, uh, you know, I, when I did the article re recently on uh, Jesse Marsh, they, I can't remember the German word that the guy that the source used, but he, it meant it translated to fisher of men. And it, it was talking about his man management. And so right. I, I think that's, so that's in Austria. And so yeah. I think that's great. So you bring in that flavor, bring in, bring in those terms and yeah, let, let each country kind of put its own twist on things. And, yeah. and that's how fans gravitate to the sport. I think, I think mm -hmm. that that's how they fall in love with it, where there is this history that is important, but Hey, let's, let's take a slice of it and, and make it our own as well. Yeah. And that's what we say with our American broadcasters. We want to see more American broadcasters covering this game. I mean, I've been thinking about the English are really the worst because they were giving Bob Bradley a hard time for saying PKs. It's like, well, it's a penalty kick. It's you can make yeah. that easily that jump guys. It's not a big thing. It's not reinventing the wheel. So, uh, well, you know what? We need more American voices in the game and you are a great one, Jeff. Uh, really you, you're pumping out a lot of great articles and keeps us up to date on everything. So, uh, uh, thanks so much for joining us on Over the Ball. We appreciate all you're doing for the game, moving it forward. And uh, please join us again. Absolutely. Anytime. And, and like I said before, thanks for having me on. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. All right, guys, that was great. It was great getting caught up with Jeff Carlisle. I mean, you know, Sam, you, you're his articles, man. He covers, you know, between him and Rory Smith with the Times, we're we're finally getting our coverage, man. We're getting on MTV. We get. I want my MTV. So, so good stuff there. He's very prolific. Yeah, he's on top. He's been on top of that game for 16 years at ESPN, and he's one of the best in the business. He's Mike. He's the uh, ESPN version of Mike Wojtola over at Soccer America. So, All right. Uh, that's some good stuff. Yeah. I would say how many articles they pump out. So, uh, yeah, so Sam, good stuff. Yeah, uh, got a, a f his finger on a lot of different pulses and does a really good job kind of distilling it in an accessible way. I meant to ask him where he played. He said he played in college. I never knew that. So um, we'll have to get get him on next time and, and figure it out. Yeah. Um, all right, you got a quiz for us today, Sam, before we yeah, get going I here? Do um, I thought it would be interesting in light of uh, Robert Lewandowski's record-breaking 41-goal season to um, compare the, 
this season in the Bundesliga, essentially, to the 71-72 season when Gerd Müller scored 40 goals, which was the previous uh, record. Jawohl, so uh, I got a few questions. First one is, Bayern won the Bundesliga this season with a total of 78 points in 34 games. How many mm -hmm. points did they put up in 71-72 across the same amount of games? And I've had to adjust these because the, the way the point tallies okay. were different back then. I'm going to say 86. 68. Okay, 79. So essentially they finished with the same okay. amount of points. So okay. Byron finished this season 13 points ahead of second place Leipzig. How many points did they finish ahead of Schalke in 71 72? Uh, eight. I'm going to say 15. Three. So it was a much, uh, much more competitive, at least at the top of the table. Yeah. It's funny. I thought that's they were all the Germans. Yeah, I thought they were more dominant back then for some reason. Uh, and, that's, okay. and that's just when like Germans played in the German in the Bundesliga in the yeah. Spanish yeah. In the league. It was amazing. There was no uh, players playing over different places. So Bayern scored ninety nine goals this season. How many did they score in seventy one seventy two? Well, we know Gerd Müller had forty. So um, seventy two. I would most say. Of, I'm going to say sixty five. One hundred and one. So Whoa. Wow. Two more goals so than Bayern this year. Das ist das ist ein Golapolusa. Das ist ein Golapolusa. Gunter Gunter Netzer Gunter Netzer was scoring. Uh, okay, Bayern's goal difference this season was plus fifty five. What was it in seventy one seventy two? Plus fifty six. Plus sixty five. <laughs> plus sixty three. So Ooh, right around yes. similar. Flynn's on the board. Close. Um, okay, then a comparison of their national team performances. How many goals did Mueller score in 62 appearances with the German national team? You can also tell me how many goals you think he scored a game, what his uh, game I'm average gonna, was. I'm going to say 45 in 62. 32 in 62. 68. For, 68 in 62? For a clip of 1.1 a game. That is That's crazy. amazing. That is amazing. And how no, the many... Germans were playing at a different level too. I and mean, that was West Germany, right? God, so. yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I should have said West Germany. Um, oh, no, but then, yeah, I should have said West Germany. Yeah. Uh, anyway, how many goals has Lewandowski scored with Poland across 118 appearances? Again, if you want. All right. To now, first of all, that's a tougher challenge, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Well, he's not yeah, playing yeah, with yeah. good players. Um, uh, so, how many games? 118. 118. I'm going to say 60, 66. 18, I'd say, I'd say 50. Okay, Grail, you are spot on. 66 for a clip of 0.56. To totally again. out of my you know what. Grail got the, Grail got the exact number. Out, uh, out somebody's cheating here. Pulled it out of so, your hoo-ha, man. I, I sort of thought that I would find that back then the league would have been much more competitive and lower scoring for some reason. Yeah. Um, but clearly it's not the case. There were but, very but, similar comparable seasons. But worse goalkeeping, Sam. Back in the day. I, yeah. Mean. I yeah. think goalkeeping just across the board on average has gone up. Worse, just like worse, just like hockey, Sam. Much better. Yeah. yeah. Much worse better. refer worse refereeing too. When you look at the clips of Gretzky scoring goals, Sam, some of those efforts by goalkeepers or goaltenders yeah. is just shocking. They yeah. like they basically don't move. It's they true. just give up, maybe because it's because yeah. it's Gretzky. It's the great one coming towards yeah. you. You might yeah. just hold hold your yeah. tent. So all right. So uh, what are we watching this weekend, boys? Go ahead, Sam. Uh, so I'm going to be 
looking at games next week. Um, and I'm going to be looking at the U21 European Championship, a little antipasto wow. for the main event. So next Tuesday, the <laughs> Netherlands are playing France at noon. That's on ESPNU. And uh, also next Tuesday at 3 p.m. is Portugal, Italy, also on ESPNU, who are covering most of that tournament. Nice. Um, which is a fun one, I think. I've watched it in the past and been. Oh, I uh, love watching the young ones play, it. man. It's uh, yeah. it's wonderful to watch the potential and the speed and. Uh, yeah, everything. for sure. So, Grail, what are you watching? I'll, I'll be watching that uh, the battle of the. Uh, he didn't call the, it the sheiks. Dic- I was going to say the, versus the, the, the oligarchs, the dictators. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll be watching uh, Man City, Chelsea, and and uh, clutching my rosary, but uh, fully expecting Man City <laughs> to win in in dominant fashion. And oh uh, yeah, and, and Sam, he he corrected my pronunciation of Conte. I went to school with Conte's, Chris Conte, Dave Conte, but it's Conte. Conte. How do you how do you say it again, Sam? Just Conte. The only thing Conte. you have to change. Conte. I love the way Sam goes. I love the way Sam says Inter. It's kind of like falling off. Like it's like Inter. Yeah, it's like you're smoking a cigarette while you're talking. <laughs> All right, boys. Good stuff. It was great getting uh, caught up with Jeff Carlisle. I'd like to thank him from ESPN. Catch uh, all his articles because he he knows what's going on in this world. And it's going to be fun. I'm excited to watch the U.S. men's national team. Um, I'm looking forward to that, to see what this team looks like. So it was uh, nice for Jeff to get us up to date on all that. All right, everybody. For Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. And we will talk to you next time on Over the Ball. <laughs>